Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to the Space News Pod Live. I'm your host, Will Walden, and on this episode... We're going to be discussing some SpaceX news. Where is that coming from? That noise. That's me. It's echoing through my through my browsers. Can you hear it? <laughs> it was my Periscope feed. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Space News Pod. Today, SpaceX landed some rockets yesterday, actually. Didn't land one of the rockets. Caught part of a rocket in a net. Of all things, they caught it in a net. But that wasn't just a normal net. The net was attached to a boat, and the boat raced to catch this part of the rocket. It's a nose cone, basically, it's the rocket. And because it caught it, that was the first time. That was the first time they've ever done it. And because it was the first time, they celebrated. And of course, everybody else celebrated as well. The side boosters made it down perfectly safe. There's dual landing pads. Each rocket landed on one of those landing pads. It's absolutely amazing what technology has done for the rocket business. Now their center stage was supposed to be landing on their drone ship. That didn't really happen last night. Um, they launched at about 2.30 a.m. Eastern Time. So unfortunately, I was dead asleep. I didn't get to see the launch live, but I did get to see the video replay on SpaceX's YouTube channel, and I got the press releases and things like that. So the middle section, center stage, crashed and burned outside of their drone ship. Kind of blew up a lot. Let's just say that. Kind of blew up a lot. But they did catch the nose cone in a net. That's phenomenal. That's amazing. And the most important part is that they launched all of their cargo into the orbits that they're supposed to go to. Light sail. There were some Department of Defense things. Um, there were some NASA stuff science things up there. Uh, the light sail. Oh, sorry. We're not taking any calls quite yet. I always forget to turn that off when I start. Sorry about that. But thank you for calling in. So that was the thing last night. That all happened. That is really good news. Light sail is out there in space. Bill Nye, the science guy. I got an email from the Planetary Society today. Bill Nye, the science guy, is super excited about what has happened with light sail. NASA sent those missions up to space, of course, and they said, this launch was a true partnership across government and industry, and it marked an incredible first for the U.S. Air Force Space and Missile Systems Center. The NASA missions aboard the Falcon Heavy also benefited from strong collaborations with industry, academia, and other government organizations. They launched the Enhanced Tandem Beacon Experiment, which is two NASA CubeSats. Um, also, they did the Deep Space Atomic Clock. 
this is pretty cool. The Deep Space Atomic Clock is a toaster oven-sized instrument in a commercial satellite that was released into low Earth orbit last night at 12.54 a.m. I was asleep. I just fell asleep at 12.54 a.m. I couldn't make it to 2.30. I wanted to watch the launch, but I couldn't make it. So 12.54 a.m., I just fell asleep. I just missed that one. Unique atomic clock will test a new way, but that's Pacific time. So Eastern time, I fell asleep. The unique atomic clock will test a new way for spacecraft to navigate in deep space. Technology can make GPS-like navigation possible at the moon and on Mars. So we can have some GPS going on up in space, in the cosmos, on other planets. Sounds pretty interesting to me. I want to let you know that I'm streaming also live on Periscope and on YouTube right now. You can go to my Twitter account, at Space News Pod, and my YouTube account, same thing, Space News Pod, if you want to watch in there anytime, anywhere. Also, the next thing, the Green Propellant Infusion Mission. It deployed at 12.57 a.m., three minutes after the Deep Space Atomic Clock. And it immediately began to power on. GPIM will test a new propulsion system that runs on a high-performance and non-toxic spacecraft fuel. The technology could help propel constellations of small satellites in and beyond low Earth orbit. Within a day of the mission, of the of the initial mission of the launch, operators will check out the small spacecraft. They'll make sure that everything's working, because if something's weird, they can't go on with their tests. One to two to three weeks after the launch, mission operators ensure that propulsion system heaters and thrusters are operating as expected. So let me just break this down for a second. When you launch something into space, there's a lot that can go wrong. There's a lot of testing that you need to do in order to get the things that you need done, done, to get the technology up and running and to do the tests to make sure that it's fine and it's not going to break eventually. So that's why it takes two to three weeks after the launch to, you know, make sure that some of this stuff works. They have to go through a ton of tests, a ton of bookwork, basically, a ton of little steps in order to make sure that these propulsion systems, the heaters and the thrusters are operating as expected. And during the first three months after a launch of the green propellant infusion mission, they will demonstrate the performance of the spacecraft's thrusters. GPIM performs three lowering burns that place it in an elliptical orbit. Each time GPIM gets closer to earth at one particular point in its orbit. And throughout the mission, secondary instruments aboard GPIM measure space weather and test a system that continuously reports the spacecraft's position and velocity. And then about a year after the launch, there's going to be some more stuff that happens with this mission because it's not just a quick, you know, launch a satellite, get a couple tests done, and then, you know, that's it. A couple of weeks, a couple of months or whatever. Mission operators will command a final thruster burn to deplete the fuel tank, a technical requirement for the end of the mission. Because when the mission ends, this craft will burn up in the atmosphere, and they don't want extra propellant, basically, in the spacecraft. Basically, they want to decommission it as much as possible. So they're going to burn off the rest of the fuel after 12 months, and at about 13 months after the launch the mission will completely end no more stuff that they have to do with it. So they can, you know, they can keep going if they want. They can change the mission if something really amazing happens, but usually they don't. Probably 9.9999999999999% of the time, they don't change the mission, uh, but it's possible. So there's another mission from NASA, the uh, Space Environment Test Beds, which is the U.S. Air Force Research Laboratories Demonstration and Scientific Experiments. Holy cow, that's a lot of words. Why don't you guys 
think about this the next time when you name something, could you please make it easier to say? That's all I'm asking NASA. That's all I'm asking Air Force. For me, the guy that reports the news for you, just name it something really quick. That's all I'm going to say about that. But they, of course, they shorten it down to DSX. But I can't just say DSX because nobody knows what I'm talking about if I say that. And that's the last spacecraft to be released from the SpaceX rocket last night, the STP-2, at 3.04 a.m., or six o'clock, if you will, Eastern time. I was still dead asleep at six o'clock in the morning. And on board the space environmental test beds, instrument designed by JPL to measure spacecraft vibrations and four NASA experiments that make up the space environment test beds. The SET will study how to better protect satellites from space radiation by analyzing the harsh environment of space near Earth and testing various strategies to mitigate the impacts of that radiation. We are going to be sending people to the moon in a couple years, in five years. These tests are super important because we need to know everything about radiation in between ourselves here on Earth and the moon. And, you know, the spacecraft that they'll be designing and developing engineering in the future, um, they need to be protected from these harmful radiations from the sun. And that means our astronauts will be protected from that radiation as well. So three weeks after this launch, SET turns on for checkout and testing of all four experiments. Two months after launch, anticipated start of scientific data collection. So two months after it launches, they have to go through checks and balances, make sure that everything works right. And then they're going to start testing of all the four experiments. Um, about 12 months after check-in, the SET mission ends. That'll be the same thing. You know, they're going to deorbit it. It's going to burn up in the atmosphere. But in all, STP-2 delivered about two dozen satellites into three separate orbits above Earth. NASA's Kennedy Space Center engineers mentored Florida high school students who developed and built a CubeSat that launched on STP-2. They said it was gratifying to see 24 satellites launch at once. Space weather instruments and science CubeSats, CubeSats will teach us how to better protect our valuable hardware and astronauts in space, insights useful for upcoming Artemis program, and more. So that's the important part right there. These missions that they're sending out right now, they're going to protect astronauts in space. They're going to protect them from radiation. They're going to protect them from, you know, uh, little micrometeoroids that are going to be impacting on their spacecraft as they head out into space. That's what these missions are for. There's a bunch of little missions that make up the bigness of, of uh, NASA of the Artemis program. And when NASA has a mission, has a prime mission of getting humans to the moon, and if that mission does become successful, I really hope it does, then, of course, these missions will all stack up. You know, Everything that we learn from these little missions will all stack up and they'll protect everybody that's on their way to the moon. Now, I also want to say, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, just let me know. Uh, hit me up in chat, because I'm here for you. And thank you for everybody on Periscope that's watching right now. Make sure to hit me up on chat, comment on this thing, and on YouTube as well. Make sure to hit me up. I'm here for you. Now, I'm going to move on to something really, really cool. Magellan TV. They helped me out with the podcast. They're a sponsor of the podcast, and they are amazing. I was looking around for places to look or to watch, I should say, to watch documentaries about space and science and tech and humanity. And basically, you know, something like Netflix didn't really have what I wanted, didn't have the deep dives into the actual science of the stuff. They might have one or two documentaries about, you know, space or NASA or something like that, or they might have a movie about it, but 
something I was that was really lacking was the hard science behind it. And hard science that made it compelling and fun to watch. So um, Magellan TV and myself have partnered up to offer all of my listeners two months for free of MagellanTV.com. So if you go to MagellanTV.com slash Space News Pod, you can get two months for free. Check out all the documentaries on any device, anywhere, anytime, no commercials. Check it out now, MagellanTV.com slash Space News Pod. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did I watch all of the Falcon Heavy launch? I watched most of it. It's long, man. It's four hours. All of it altogether is about four hours. But I, I watched the launch, and I watched the landings and the uh, not-so-great landing of the center core section there. <laughs> that one was not very pretty, but it was delightful in another way. It was uh, catastrophic for the rocket. Rest in peace, center section. I think actually Elon Musk said something about rest in peace to the center section. He said rip center or rip uh, core or something like that on one of his tweets. And it gave me a little chuckle because he's he's just a normal genius meme guy that just happens to have a sweet rocket company. So... I watched most of it and I, I watched the landings of the rockets and I watched the first uh, deployments. And I was at, at that point, I was like, I've watched a lot of this. Yeah. The that's all insulation. You know, that's all the insulation. And um, as, as far as I know, the white stuff is that we were talking about the like kind of tumble weeded out of it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's pretty normal. Yeah, I saw that too, and I was like, uh-oh. And I, I kind of had to step back for a second and like, collect myself and go, okay, that's just part of part of the process. Because it's nothing weird. It's pretty normal in satellite deployments like that. Because there's stuff inside that, you know, uh, gets has to leak out. And plus, it gets really cold in space. So parts of the ship get really cold and kind of float off into the distance. But yeah, everything was really cool. The landings. Oh, you know what I saw, man? You know what I saw today? Oh, I got to find this for you. I think you'd really enjoy this. There is a video. Let me find it for you. Of a guy that filmed the launch with a a, uh, telescope. Where is it? Where is it? I found it today earlier. And it's it's an awesome video. He was really close to the launch, but he wasn't close enough to like really eye it up. Let me find it for you though. It's really, it's really neat. And I'll oh there we go. Telescopic tracking. NASA's or SpaceX is Falcon Heavy. One second, let me get the link for you. Copy that link for you, and then I'll post it in chat so everyone can see it. It's very cool. Sorry, that's taking a little bit longer. Speaking of telescopes, how about the asteroid that was seen by a telescope before it blasted through the atmosphere? I haven't seen that one. When was this? Was this recently? I didn't get to see that one, unfortunately.
Yeah. Oh, it was recent. Okay. I'll check it out. I'll make sure to check it out for the next show so I can kind of uh, report about it and see what the heck it was all about. I didn't get to see that one. Some of these things slip by me. I have a, um, from Hawaii. Okay. Okay. I'll check it out. You know, I love to do these shows because, um, I get to, I get to learn stuff too, which is really cool. Like that. I wouldn't have even known that was a thing. I like to keep up on these kind of things, but there's just so much going on that I can't keep up with all of it. Um, now there's a, I got a media advisory for NASA, which is going to be happening June 27th, Thursday, which is tomorrow at four o'clock PM Eastern time. NASA science live. It's a new announcement for a new solar system mission. I don't know what it is. Uh, the host of the teleconference will be, uh, Thomas, uh, Zerbuchen, Zerbuchen, associate administrator of NASA science mission directorate, Lori Glaze, director of NASA's planetary science division, Kurt Niebuhr, lead program scientist for new frontiers, principal investigator of the selected mission. So I don't know anything about this mission that's coming up, but it says NASA will announce a major new science mission to explore our solar system during a broadcast of NASA science live at four o'clock Eastern Thursday, June 27th. I got invited. So I'm going to be checking that out. I'll be calling in. Um, I won't be visiting because that's pretty far away for, you know, for basically a, a thing, a mission announcement. Um, though it will be pretty cool and it will be hopefully a mission to a moon of Saturn or Jupiter, or I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what it'll be, but I'm going to ask all the questions I can. So I might actually rebroadcast that as they're broadcasting it. So we can talk about it while it's happening, but I'm not sure if I can, I'll have to ask them about that and see what the, what the deal is. But you know, this is my, first real NASA call tomorrow. So hopefully all works well and I, uh, don't sweat it and I'm okay with, uh, asking a silly question here and there going to make, of course, make my personalities be normal because you know what? I, I listen to these NASA broadcasts sometimes and, and the news reporters are really kind of, they're kind of boring. I'm just saying they're, they kind of, Hello, this is John from da 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 space space news portal dot info. I would like to know why we are going to Pluto. Very boring stuff. That's not, dude. They are not real people. <laughs> no, but a lot of them are really great people. To be honest with you, they just want to be professional, and that's totally fine. I want to be back. I want to be invited back to these things. So. When I call in tomorrow, I'll make sure to be as professional as possible, but also kind of put a spin on it. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to do anything stupid and get kicked out. I don't plan on it, but, um, these things are pretty important and I want to be invited to more of them. So I'm probably going to be monotone tomorrow. So hopefully I can get on the air and hopefully my question gets asked and answered, which would be really cool. So I don't know what this is about, but it's pretty big news, apparently. It's going to be on their website, Facebook Live, YouTube, Periscope, and Ustream. So it should be deep space science, as far as I'm concerned. And hopefully... Like I said before, hopefully we send something maybe to Europa. That would be really cool. If it's an announcement of a new mission, hopefully it's a, a life studying mission for Europa or Enceladus or something like that. That'd be really interesting, but we don't get to know until they announce it. So the, okay. So this is like some background stuff. Basically what I read to you 
is exactly what came in my email. Like, here's this thing we're going to announce. Here's what you have to do. You know, yada, yada, yada. You got to get, get all signed up and stuff. So I sent them an email and I said, Hey, this is what I do. Um, I have this, you know, I have a podcast and I'd like to be involved with this call. And they said, Oh, cool. Sure. And that was like, I sent it at four o'clock and I got it back an answer back at like four 30. So they were really quick about it. Very good about it. But I don't know anything that's going on. So the fact that I have no idea what's going on is kind of, uh, it's kind of cool because I'm still in the dark. I'm still just like everybody else, but I also don't know what questions to ask as a reporter. I need to know what kind of questions to ask people before the actual event starts. Um, I could ask something very broad, like, are we going to be looking for life with this mission? You know, that would be a good one to ask. Two new possible Earth-like planets orbiting a star nearby. Man, they keep finding these exoplanets. And it's amazing. They're all over the place. I remember when those things were just science fiction. You know, we'd watch a, a movie or a TV show or something, and they'd land on another planet someplace else. Planet B and C, <laughs> right? Planet X. <laughs> yeah, and then you'd and then you'd be like, oh, wow, there's other planets out there with other stuff, you know, like that isn't like us, like Star Trek or whatever. And at the end of the day, those things actually existed. Science fiction became science fact. We can't actually land on them, but we know that they're there, which is amazing. So... The fact that I don't know anything about this upcoming press conference, I think I'm going to have to have a broad question. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe if we have, if you have any ideas for a question, my, my general question would be, are we going to be searching for life with this experiment? You know, like that's my pretty general question because that could cover a lot of missions. We'll be, we'll be, be will we be using technology in this Experiment to discover life on other planets, other worlds. I should say worlds. There we go. Will we, will we be using technology on this experiment that will be able to discover life on other worlds? There. I'm going to say I'm going to write it on a script so I don't freak out when I talk to him. <laughs> I mean, it's NASA after all. It's a big deal. So I think that's, I'll probably ask that. And then they're going to be like, uh, dude, listen, we just said, we're going to send like a probe to the moon again. We're going to send a satellite around the moon. No, there's not going to be any sort of life up there, buddy. <laughs> be like you're, you're blacklisted. You're never coming back. <laughs> so yeah, that, that would be pretty funny. You're never getting the invite again, buddy. Uh, there's a couple other things that I'd like to go over. I went over this one earlier today. Um, I did a little uh, quick podcast, but I, I kind of briefly touched on it. Um, Space IL, their original mission, better sheet, crash landed on the moon. It was the first lunar lander from a private company. But they're not going to make another moon mission. Bear Sheet 2 is going to be a different objective. So people on Twitter were kind of freaking out about it. They were saying things like, uh, Bear Sheet, like the, their mission said, this time we will not go to the moon. Bear Sheet's journey to the moon was already received as a success, a record breaking journey. Instead, we will seek out another significant objective for Bear Sheet 2. More details to come. Um, so basically what they're saying is, Hey, we've already been to the moon. We want to go someplace else. We've already proven that we can get something to the moon. So why not, why not just go someplace else, right? Go someplace else. Why don't you go to Mars? Is that what Bereshit 2 is all about? And if Bereshit 2 is going to the red planet, what will be the instruments? I reached out to Space IL. Nothing 
get from those guys. Let me check this space.com article out for you. Two potentially Earth-like alien planets found around nearby star. Tika, oh yeah, I, okay, I saw this one. Planets orbit a sun known as Teagarden Star, which is 12.5 light years from Earth. Two planets look an awful lot like Earth and our neighboring worlds, the researchers said. Two planets resemble the inner planets of our solar system. They are only slightly heavier than Earth and are located in the so-called habitable zone where water can be present in liquid form. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I saw that the other day. Very cool stuff. Now, with announcements like this, you see there's always announcements of new planets, like Earth-like planets, that we kind of expect it to be something amazing, right? We kind of expect it to be something huge. And that there's Earth-like planets with methane on them and oxygen and water and you know, they're not a rocky planet that's been destroyed by the sun. They're in the habitable zone, the Goldilocks zone, so to speak, just perfect for humans to live on. And if it's a couple, you know, billion light years away, that's a pretty far distance. But this is 12.5 light years away. Not too far away, considering the mass of space, the mass distance of space in general, of the universe, of the cosmos. But things like Pluto, right? These little tiny planetoids, these little tiny objects on the Kuiper belt, we don't actually know what they are. You know, we, we kind of have an idea. But when we send probes to them, they look completely different than what we thought they were. Pluto, we thought, for the longest time, was just a big hunk of rock, icy rock, cold rock out in the middle of nowhere. We get a probe to it. It's beautiful. It's got color. This little moon has a little thing orbiting it. Now, what about these exoplanets that are 12 and a half light years away? We think right now they're in the habitable zone. They could have water on them. They could have possible life on them. And if we were to send a probe to these exoplanets, what would we find? We barely know what's in our own solar system. So reaching out to these exoplanets that are millions of light years away, tens of millions of light years away, possibly, or even a million light years away, even 12.5 light years away, that's hard to wrap your head around for a normal human being like myself. I'm just a normal person like you guys. I just love this stuff. This is my passion for next cast. An asteroid hit earth right after it was spotted by a telescope. Holy cow. I'll have to check that one out for sure. So if you think about exoplanets and you think about other suns, we can measure those things from our observatories and from our scientists, engineers with their smarty pants brains. <laughs> they know how to do those things. I don't know how to do those things. I know how to point a telescope at Jupiter. I know how to point a telescope at Saturn, at Mars, in my backyard. I'm an amateur astronomer. I've also have a had a passion for this for a very long time. Blake, when, what was the first planet you saw, Blake, with your telescope? Or with a telescope, I should say. Because I know mine... Oh, you use binos. Nice. Jupiter. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. That was my first, too. The funny thing is, I broke down and cried. <laughs> In my, in my driveway is about, it was pretty late at night. I've never seen anything like that before in my life. And I'm going to explain the scene to anybody out there who's never done this before. 
this is the feeling you get when you have your own telescope and you peer into the nothingness of the cosmos. You're looking up right now. You can see the stars. You can see the little twinkles of the stars, and you see the solidity of the planets, and you know which one's a planet. You know which ones are stars because the stars twinkle. And the stars twinkle because they're so far away, and the atmosphere of the Earth shimmers and makes them shake, twinkle. You look up, and you spot something that doesn't look like a star. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit more bright than a star. And you need to point your telescope at it. But you don't know how to do that. This is my own personal thing. This is what happened. I had a big, big old telescope. My first telescope was a huge light bucket. Huge, huge telescope. And I was pointing around. I didn't know how to use the thing. I just bought it off somebody for 300 bucks. You know, I was just, I was new. I was brand new, all this. And this telescope was a good deal for 300 bucks. And I put it all together. The guy kind of showed me how to use it a little bit. He showed me, you know, oh, we could probably see Jupiter in the middle of the day. And I, I kind of it blew my mind that he would say that, that he would even say we could see Jupiter in the middle of the day when it was sunny outside. But we didn't get to because he couldn't find it in the, in the daylight. So I packed up the scope, brought it back to my house, set it up that night, didn't see anything. Didn't I didn't know how to see anything. I looked at the moon a little bit. That was pretty amazing. Uh, but the moon was really bright because they didn't have any filters. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go planet hunting. What can I look at? So I got an app for my phone, uh, Starwalk. By the way, that's a great app. If you want to look up at the night sky and actually know what you're looking at, check out Starwalk. Awesome stuff. They are like spot on with really, really cool uh, visuals. And you get a lot of information if you tap on the planets. So I looked up at the sky and I saw uh, where Jupiter was in the sky. And I was like, I could probably check that out. I could probably point my telescope over there and look at it and see Jupiter and all of its wonder. Nope, not at all. That thing was hard to find. I couldn't find it for like three days. I hunted and I hunted and I hunted and I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out my telescope. I didn't know if it was in focus. I didn't know anything about it. It was cold outside and it was becoming fall and on about the fifth day in my driveway on my very, very quiet street, I panned my telescope across the sky very slightly, very slowly. I used uh, a method where you pinpoint a couple stars and then you move a little bit of distance to the right or left, basically using the stars to navigate the sky slowly move my telescope over to the right. And as I did, a big blob, a blur, zoomed through my eyepiece. I just saw something. I didn't know what it was. But I knew I had to go figure out what the hell that thing was. So I slowly, slowly moved my scope back, inch by inch, centimeter by centimeter, to the left to see if I could zoom in, see if I could get this thing in my eyepiece, see if I could see what this blob was. I had no idea what it was. And I found it. And in the top right of my scope was Jupiter. The moment that I saw it, I had to take a deep breath And I tried to focus it in the center of my scope. I knew that if I lost it, I probably wouldn't be able to get it again. It's moving. Like those things are always moving too. Just so you know, the planets are always moving. They're not still in the sky. And when you're zoomed in on them, it's hard to find them again. So I saw, uh, I think it was four moons the first day four moons the first day. But when I got it centered in my scope, my eyes started watering up because it's nothing like you've ever experienced 
in your life. And for me, I'm passionate about this. And when you explore that by yourself, I was alone in the middle of the night, nobody around. There's no noise at all. No cars, no people up. Nobody was awake. All the lights were off at every house. I was alone, just myself and Jupiter. And it's four moons. Not sure which moons they were. I didn't check it afterwards. I was, I was so taken aback by it, but the feeling that you get when you explore that, it feels like you're the first person to ever see that. I discovered Jupiter for the first time in this feeling of joy overwhelmed me. And I stood in my driveway eyes teary. I couldn't see Jupiter anymore because my eyes were so wet from tears and I had to wipe off the tears in order to see Jupiter because I didn't want it to go away. I stood out there from one thirty in the morning trying to find this thing until I finally found it until about three thirty or four o'clock in the morning. And I was only going to stay out for half an hour. Four o'clock in the morning rolls around. I didn't realize how late it was. I experienced it's an out of body experience. It's an out otherworldly experience. You don't understand until you've done it. Blake, you're exactly right. You don't really get it through the renders and the videos and documentaries and the feeling that you get when you discover it. That's what it is. It's not about science at that point. It's not about all the things you learned in a book. It's about the feeling you get when you discover something for the first time you feel like I felt like I was the first person to ever see this, even though millions of people around the world have seen this a million of times. So the fact that it had that much of a impact on my life, that I would continue pursuing this after doing that. It's, it was mind bending. It wasn't even mind blowing. It just, it changed my perception of life from being on earth to understanding that we are just a tiny, tiny piece of this puzzle. And the fact that anybody could do this, you could go buy a telescope anytime you could go to freaking Walmart and buy a pair of binoculars and you could look into the sky and you could see the craters of the moon in really good detail. Oh, Blake, there's going to be, there's going to be way, way more moments like that. Um, because Saturn, when I saw Saturn, it was a similar experience. When I saw my first galaxy, the Sombrero galaxy on accident, I wept like a little baby. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, and I'm one of those people, I'm not going to. I'm not going to cry about something <laughs> like I can handle my emotions. I'm not one. I'm not a tough guy. I'm not going to stand up here and, you know, be big and buff and tough guy. Well, I, what I will tell you is that it's life altering. There's something about seeing other places that exist that aren't this earth that aren't near you thousands of light years away. Things are so far away. You can't comprehend it. And the things that are there, there's a black hole in the center of that galaxy. There's a black hole in the center of our galaxy. It's eating up everything around it. 
and is siphoning it down into a pinpoint. And we don't know what happens to that stuff. What happens to all of that mass? What happens to all the suns and all the planets? And what was on those planets that get sucked into a black hole? And those are the things that are in the galaxies that you get to see if you look at the night sky. It's absolutely incredible. If you've never been to a dark sky site, if you've never been to a place where there's no lights around you, where it's completely pitch black, there's no words to explain that. There's a sense of serenity. It's a sense of oneness. There's a sense of wonder, joy, and just fulfillment that you'll never get if you look up at streetlights every night. It's imperative, I believe, for humans to see the night sky and to see what's out there, to look up. Yeah. Like maybe there is something looking back at us. Maybe there's something up there that is just becoming aware that they aren't the only thing. We want to go to Big Bend in Texas to see the night sky in total darkness. That would be amazing. I luckily have a nationally protected dark sky site <clears throat> about 45 minutes south of me in Pennsylvania. It's near Cowdersport, Pennsylvania. It's called Cherry Springs. And Cherry Springs is great. It's about four miles up a mountain. Campground. They have an observatory there where it's not an actual observatory. It's like four domes that you can rent for the night. In these domes, you can put your telescope in them. You can camp in them. Uh, but it's protected for a dark sky site. So you can't, after 9 o'clock at night, you can't run your car lights unless you're leaving the park. You can't have a campfire. You can't have any of that stuff. It's protected. <clears throat> so basically, you can take your telescope down there anytime you want to, any night, pull in, turn off your car, and look up. You don't even have to have a telescope. Just go outside. You can just walk outside, look up. After I get done with this podcast, I'm going to walk outside and I'm going to look up and I'm going to wonder what is up there and what are we going to discover next? This thing about being here in Australia is being able to see the Milky Way so clear and bright, but America would have some fantastic spots. We do have fantastic spots. There's a lot of desert here. There's a lot of forests and a lot of open land that's accessible um, and it's dark. There's a lot of places that aren't habited by humans in America. I mean, we're still around, but we don't live everywhere. There's places where you can drive 30 miles and not see a car. Some mornings, actually, I live in the middle of a forest. The Northern Lights would be amazing. I live in the middle of a forest and I can literally drive some mornings or some nights. Even if I go downtown tonight, I probably won't see another car because there's no, there's like 4,000 people in my little town. It's great. It's amazing. It's like the best place to do this. There's so much sky here. And the fact that I'm doing this for a living as a podcaster, like every little bit counts from your support, like everything counts, all the follows, all the likes, all the stars, all that stuff counts. I'm living, I am living the dream, man. I am not going to deny that. Like this is, I had a tough couple, like four years, like last four years were really, really tough. 
um, didn't know what I was going to do with my career. My career sucked. I hated it. I was over it 15 years in the same industry. Um, I was a web developer. I still am, but I just take really small jobs just for the heck of it now. But I needed to figure out what I loved and this is what I'd love to do. I love to help people get excited about science and space because that's, I've always been passionate about it every single day of my life. Since I was a little kid, since the Apollo missions, since the space shuttle missions, all that stuff, very exciting to me, very amazing that we can actually do that stuff. And the fact that we can see two black holes colliding and the ripples of gravity from those black holes colliding hit the earth and we can detect it. The fabric of space time has been jolted so hard that it bounces through our planet and our detectors can tell us that that exists. We had an idea. Einstein had the idea that we're on a fabric of space time. Basically we're, if you put something, I would say like, if you put something in a trampoline on the trampoline, or you put like a bowling ball in the middle of the trampoline, that's what the universe is like. That's what gravity does. Books about astronomy. Are you talking hardcore astronomy or are you talking like, every day kind of pick it up and put it down kind of astronomy because Neil deGrasse Tyson has, um, let's see, which one is it called? What's it called? I want to make sure I get it right. Make sure I get the title, right? Uh, astrophysics for people in a hurry. That's a really good one to be honest with you. Astrophysics for people in a hurry. It's on Amazon. I will link you right now. Get on Kindle audiobook. I have the audiobook. It's really great. I listen to it sometimes. That is a long URL. But yeah, that's um, that is the URL. That's a really great book, though. Um, that was. The fabric of the cosmos. Oh, let me check that out. Who's this by? Brian Green. Get it. Brian Green. Do it. Yep. Brian Green's amazing. Straight up. Like anything Brian Green does, amazing. Very cool. Very cool. I have to get that one. I. <clears throat> I have um, a book around here. Where did I put it? Dr. David Warmflash is also pretty cool. He was on the podcast a little while ago. Um, and I will send you a, a link to his book, which is pretty cool about... It's about the moon. There we go. An illustrated history, moon, an illustrated history for ancient myths. There we go. There we go. Cool dude. Cool guy. Check that one out. Um, but that has like, it's the history of everything we know about the moon. Not just like the moon landings, not just like the stuff you dig out of the moon, not just the moon rocks, but it's like, how did humanity figure out that the moon is a thing? <laughs> basically and like who figured it out who figured out that it was an actual moon and not like a chunk of cheese you know those kind of things and we went to wars over the moon we sent people to the moon all that stuff is covered in that book and it's a really great book uh the doctor's been on the podcast before really cool guy very like he's he has so much knowledge about the moon that i don't even know what to think when I talk to the guy, he just blows my mind and I want to have him on the podcast again. So hopefully we can get another one of these podcasts going with him sometime soon, because, um, I'd really like to pick his brain about the new, uh, moon landing and maybe the new beer sheet too. If we get some more information about that, that would be really cool. 
um, yeah, and I have to make sure that, uh, you know, he gets to plug his book. <laughs> he didn't tell me that, but I want him, I want him to make a lot of money because he's a cool guy. He's like a super nice guy. So very knowledgeable about the moon and a, about a lot of stuff too. Like he's a doctor for a reason. You have a dark sky place. I'd like to visit in far Northern. I started at the sky and a tire night or stared at the sky and tire night. The first time I visited, love to take a telescope up there next time. Any suggestions for a beginner's telescope? Actually, let me, where is this? I just had a scope in mind. Uh, where was it? I was just looking at this scope the other night. a beginner's telescope. Um, I can't remember where, if I, when I close that tab, there we go. This one is pretty good for a beginner's telescope. Let me get this to you. 200 some dollars. Celestron are really great telescopes. That was that's what mine was. This is pretty good for a good beginner telescope. Six inch, so it's not gonna give you views of the most amazing uh nebula and stuff like that, but you can get good views of the planets. And it's relatively inexpensive. I'm not sure what your budget is, but that's $229. Uh, US. So that's a pretty good like starter scope if you want to really get into this. But Celestron has a bunch of um, they have a bunch of beginner scopes. Let me check what, one of them out for you. Because this is, you know, when people start talking about telescopes and they want, you don't want to get something really small. You know, you don't want to get something that's like so small you won't be able to see anything because everybody wants to kind of see planets right like everyone kind of wants to see jupiter and mars and things like that so uh there's a good refractor the power seeker i think the, yeah the power seeker is not bad this one's not bad let me send you a link to this and then you can just kind of like look around yeah, check that one out. Celestron makes really great stuff. But the first scope, um, that one doesn't have, I don't think that one has a tripod. Yeah, I think it just comes with a scope, so you have to buy a tripod separately, but that Celestron has, um, has everything. So you can just go set it up, basically, and look at stuff. The first thing you should do is... Just point it at the moon. Get a moon filter first. That's important. Don't look at the moon. Because <laughs> I've done this. Don't look at the moon without a moon filter. If anything, if anything, use a, like a piece of tissue or something over your eyepiece. See, that's cool too. The Power Seeker 114. What is that? That's like 100 and something, right? Yeah, about a, between 100 and... 150 yeah yeah that's a good scope and it's a it's a good price for that scope so yeah that's a good scope to start with blake has a good idea there check that one out too uh, but yeah i would just say point it at the moon figure out how to use it you know because oh yeah I didn't, yeah, there's planet filters, moon filters, nebula filters, any, any sort of gas, right? So like you can look into the night sky and you can see a nebula, but that nebula has different gases in it. So you can separate those gases with the filters that you put on your telescope. So anybody out there that's going to be getting a telescope, don't go all out. You know, don't go all out and buy everything for it right away. I'd say buy a moon filter and a pl like any planet filter that you can read up on that you like. I would say go for a Saturn. Saturn's a beautiful thing to see. It's an amazing thing to see. It's another tearjerker. Saturn's one of those like 
okay, my life just changed again because it's beautiful and you get to see the rings and those things don't exist around the earth. Um, but yeah, the, if you look into your telescope without a moon filter for any long amount of time, you will burn out your eyeball. It's really bright. You don't think of the moon as really bright, but you look through it, a telescope or even a pair of binoculars, a good pair of binoculars, your eye will burn out if you do it for a, a long amount of time. Not as bad as the sun, but it's really bright. Think of like the most blinding white light you'll ever see. And you know, like how when you look at a light and then you look into darkness, you can still kind of see that little circle or the little, little dot of light that you're just looking at. Think of that, but brighter, like the brightest you've ever seen. Plus it's your whole eye. So like your eye will go blind for a little while. So if you can't afford a filter for the moon, um, get a piece of tissue at least and put it over your eyepiece just to diffuse some of that light a little bit. Uh, do you have a camera mount for your telescope? Uh, no, I don't. I, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. It's hard to get a mount for my scope that's actually going to do anything. So I don't have one right now, but I'm actually looking into getting a new scope so I can do astrophotography because I want to get into that field. And I think it would be amazing to be able to do podcasts from the field while I'm looking at these really insane things. And while I'm traveling, like how cool would that be? Because I plan on doing a mission to uh, Florida when they send humans back to the ISS on a Falcon rocket in, uh, November, November 15th is the launch. I believe that's their tentative launch date. So I'll be doing that. Um, I have a GoFundMe for it. Not quite up to par yet. The GoFundMe is just kind of like a placeholder. Probably should have updated that today, but whatever, I'll do it tomorrow. Um, so yeah, that's going to be happening in November. <laughs> I think it's called like, let me see, let me link it up real quick it still needs a lot of information. So please don't, uh, there we go. Please don't, uh, think I'm holding out on you guys. I just haven't posted it up yet. Haven't posted anything in there. going to record a video, do all that stuff, you know, make sure that it's proper and good before I actually like send it out to a bunch of people. Because right now it's just, I think it's how to like get wheel to a rocket launch or whatever. <laughs> so uh, it's just funny at this point. Uh, but yeah, if you check that out, just, you know, thank you for just checking it out. I don't expect anything. Um, but I do, I will be promoting it in the next, you know, next couple episodes probably. Just so I can start getting the ball rolling, man, because I'm on the list. I'm on the NASA list. So I will be part of the process in the future of all these rocket launches. So that's cool. Um, I also want to thank Magellan TV for all the support. They've been really great helping me out, uh, sponsoring the podcast. If you are interested in any sort of space science or tech, um, movies, documentaries. They have 1500 amazing documentaries on Magellan TV. You go to MagellanTV.com slash space news pod, and you can get your first two months for free. So just check it out, go there, check it out. And then after that, it's as low as four ninety nine per month. And you can check it out on any, uh, any app, any platform, smart TV compatible on your phones, on your tablets. There's no interruptions, no ads, really high quality HD, ultra HD, 4k quality, new content all the time. I haven't even been able to keep up with it because there's so much stuff. So go to MagellanTV.com slash space news pod, sign up because they helped me a ton so far. 
awesome people too. Just awesome people to work with. So yeah, check those guys out. There's, you know, there's some more stuff coming up in the future for, uh, I'm going to get into some stuff with Elon Musk tomorrow, SpaceX, Tesla stuff. I'm going to get into some stuff with other Tesla competitors too. So the tech part of this podcast, is kind of ramping up a little bit. Tesla is going to be doing something with batteries that I'll uh, let you guys know about tomorrow. But for now, I have to go to bed. It's about 10 o'clock here. And this has been a really fun episode. I appreciate it. I appreciate all your guys' uh, follows. If you like this podcast, please give me a follow uh, so you can check it out next time. And also, if you have any questions at all, you could hit me up on Twitter anytime you want at Space News Pod, also on Facebook at Space News Pod. Uh, Instagram is at Space News Pod, then the number one. And I think that's about it for tonight, guys. Appreciate everything you guys have done for me, and I will see you soon. Good night.